Everything that we do reflects on the God who we serve. Everything we do. And so if you're here today and you hear that, you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been a horrible witness. My lifestyle, the things that I've said, the ways that I've acted, betrays my belief in Jesus. All you have to do is say, apologize to God and go back to whoever you've harmed and apologize. I think next to the three words, I love you, the next most common three words for a Christian should be, I am sorry. Imagine someone told you that you should take a day off of work each week and that you would be refreshed and renewed from it. Would you accept it or worry about getting behind at work or being docked pay? As we'll hear today, that's what God asks of us when he says to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We can trust him to bless us as we set aside a day to grow our relationship with him and to love and honor his work in our lives. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, Ten Commandments. Today, we're in Exodus 20. We've already taken the first two of the Ten Commandments. So we're picking up today at verse 7. Now, if you recall, the first two commandments deal that there should be no other God other than God. So it's you have to worship the true God. And then second, you have to make sure you worship the true God in the right way. So those were the first two commandments, and they start in the right place. That first, you have to worship the true God. You shall have no other gods before the God of the Bible, the biblical God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody's a worshiper. Everybody is. An atheist Although atheist means no God, an atheist is still a worshiper. Everybody worships. If you listen to Richard Dawkins, who's maybe the most prominent of the modern atheists, he absolutely worships science. Absolutely. Everyone's, see, the human heart is designed for worship. Everything about who we are, we're hardwired to worship. So right at the beginning, it says you have to worship the true and living God. And then second, you have to worship the true and living God in the right way. So what that means is there is a way to worship the true God in a false way. And that is why it says that you shall make um, no carved image of God. No carved image. So it's very common in that culture. It's also common in in developing countries. If you go to India and different places, you know, in, in the West now, we have a, a great love of a Buddhist culture. You go to Nepal and Thailand, these places, and there's all sorts of statues, all sorts of them. You go into a, a Chinese tea shop, and there's statues in there. So maybe that's not necessarily the, the normal way that people in the West roll, but we have to make sure that you worship the true God in the proper way. So we pick up now in verse 7 at the third commandment, which says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
So this is the idea of that God's name is meant to be sanctified. Now you can find this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, exactly the same word for word. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's the second telling of the law. That's what the Deuteronomy means. Deutero means second, namos in Greek means law. So it's the second telling of the law. Exactly same. They're in there the exact same way. Now, the third commandment, does not deal with internal worship, who you worship, or necessarily the external worship, like the second commandment, which says don't worship a carved image. Now it deals with our profession, our witness. Now it's so common when you think about do not take the name of God in vain to we always want to talk about God's verbal name. So it's like if someone were to say, you know, um, Jesus Christ, and they're upset. People would say, oh, that's breaking the third commandment. And in a sense it is, but I think that's a very limited view. So if you grew up in a good Christian home, instead of saying, oh my God, you'll say, oh my word. But when you say, oh my word, what does everyone know you're thinking? Oh my God, right? So now, think about it. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, when you think of the Lord's name, when you think of someone's name, do you think about the letters of their name? Like when you think about me, do you think, oh yeah, Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L. When you, when you hear Pastor Daniel, do you just think of the letters in my name? No, right? You think of this incredibly handsome guy. <laughs> With a very nice beard, some phenomenal hair. You, you know, you know. I'm jesting. I know you guys are like, Pastor Daniel, come on. The name always equates to someone's nature. The name always equates to nature. And so when you think of someone's name, it's the totality of who they are. So you cannot take God's name in vain in a verbal sense, but still take his name in vain in the way that you live. You may never say God's name in a pejorative way while still living your whole life of taking his name in vain. Does it make sense? It's the difference between religion and the gospel. The Pharisees would not even say the personal name of God, that Yahweh, that tetragrammaton, the yud, the he, and the vav, and the he. Even today, if you talk to someone who is orthodox in their, in their Judaism, they would never say God's name. They would always say Hashem. And Hashem literally means the name. Because instead of wanting to say God's name for fear of taking it in vain, they just call God the name. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they would never have taken God's name in vain. But when you look at the way Jesus relates to them, he's showing them all over the place that although they have all these rituals, their heart is far from God. So the idea of taking God's name in vain, it really speaks about living in such a way that is in opposition to God's nature. Does that make sense? So I want to I wanna enlarge the way we look at taking God's name in vain from just purely words to a whole lifestyle of how we live. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So what we say has weight to it. And I always remember a story, and it's a personal story, and I'll share it. 
you know, I remember I, I grew up and my parents, you know, they, they bickered a lot and they were, they were mean to each other a lot. It was just though they didn't, you know, they loved each other, but they didn't know any better, really. They weren't walking with the Lord and, you know, and so I remember I'd watch my parents get into it all the time. And then when I got married, I said, you know, I'm never going to respond to my wife in such a way that I'm just trying to hurt her. Because I'd watched that growing up where it's like you get in a disagreement and then someone hurts each other. And I remember, you know, I remember one day we must have been married about four months and, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. She did something I didn't like and I said something and it came out of my mouth and it was only meant just to hurt her. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, another pastor, and I was confessing, you know, I was like, man, I just never wanted to be that guy. You know, and I said, I just said this and it just hurt Lynn. And he said, well... Now you know what's in your heart so you can deal with it. And it was such a profound response. Because instead of trying to like kind of pat me on the back, like, oh, don't worry about it. He's like, well, look, Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that's what's in your heart. So let's deal what's in your heart now. Let's let God deal with it. So we have to be careful about the words that we say. We have to be careful about it. But I think that it's easy to be religiously minded, never say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, or, or God damn it, you know, these type of words. You might never say that, but you still may live like you're saying those things anyway. Does that make sense? So I don't want you to say those words, but at the same time, I, not taking God's name in vain really doesn't have very much to do with God's specific name. It has to do about living in response to God's nature. About living in response to God's nature. And so, biblically speaking, when you, you could take God's name in vain when we live in opposition to God's teachings, his doctrine. Of course, we can use language. We can do it with our lifestyles. I think of Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. And if another comes in his own name, you will receive. Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name, in accordance with my Father's nature. We can take God's name in vain with our thought life. Do we realize that when we think about ourselves or other people in a way that is in opposition to the nature and character of God, we're taking God's name in vain. It's amazing how ruthless the grace of God is. Because if we're racist, if we're sexist, if we have a preference for people of a certain socioeconomic status or political persuasion, or even if we despise people of other religions, those thoughts actually take God's name in vain because the gospel says that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and the concept of a sinner crosses every boundary, male, female, every ethnicity, even every religion. If you look at the body of Christ universal, there are people from every background known to man. Religious, non-religious, polytheistic, monotheistic. Because the gospel cuts the knees out under everything. Whatever ism or schism it is, The gospel cuts the knees out right from under it. So we have to be careful not to take God's name in vain in our thought life. In our thought life. Now, 
As this gets developed in the Old Testament, you have things like Leviticus 19.12. It says, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor you shall, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. It's interesting. Don't swear by God's name. How many times have you heard someone say, I swear to God? Yeah, eh. Nah. Why? Because the Bible says our yes should be yes and our no should be no. For anything else is from the evil one. We should just be people of our word. Don't swear by God's name. Jesus, picking up on this in Matthew chapter 5, says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne nor by earth, for it is God's footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes, yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more is from the evil one. What that means is that the people of God should be known for the integrity that we do what we say. We're good with our word. We don't want to be frivolous. Everything that you and I do, everything that we do reflects on the God who we serve. Everything we do. And so if you're here today and you hear that, you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been a horrible witness. My lifestyle, the things that I've said, the ways that I've acted betrays my belief in Jesus. All you have to do is say, apologize to God and go back to whoever you've harmed and apologize. I think next to the three words, I love you, The next most common three words for a Christian should be, I am sorry. Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. There's a way that all of us betray our own testimony. So notice what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So we want to live lives that are reflective, that are reflective of God's glory. We want to live lives that reflect the reality that we are responding to the nature of God, to God's truthfulness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, all of these things. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now look at the fourth commandment. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is within them. And rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, if you notice in these four verses, it really breaks down into three parts. First, the commandment itself. In verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Right? And then the specifications on how to keep it. Verses 9 and 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And on the seventh day is a Sabbath shall do no work, not your son, not your daughter. So what it's saying is that although you're going to only work six days and take a day off, you can't make other people work on that day too. 
Okay? So the specifications are is that everyone's supposed to rest on the seventh day. And then the third part is the grounding of this commandment, which goes right back to the creation account of Genesis chapter 1 and the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2, where God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. Now, what's interesting is that if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, there's actually more involved in it than we get here. In verse 12, let me see what it says. Instead of here, it says, remember the Sabbath day. In verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it's interesting that if you include Deuteronomy chapter 5, you have an active and a passive sense. The active side of it is to remember it, to keep it in mind. And then, of course, the passive side is to, act, is to observe it. So you have these two different ideas, remembering it and observing it. And then also, in verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, instead of rooting, instead of rooting it in creation, in Deuteronomy, they actually root it in, in the, the slavery that they experience. Look what it says in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 5. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it's interesting that in Deuteronomy, instead of grounding it in creation, it grounds it in the Exodus. But either way, God's heart for us is that we do need to take some time off. That's what the Sabbath, it's about a day of rest. We're meant to keep it Holy, which means to keep it set apart. Now, what does that mean for you and I today? According to the New Testament, we are not under Sabbath laws. Now, if you talk to people who are Orthodox Jewish, they still believe that you should keep the Sabbath law growing up in New Jersey. I remember I had friends who I was going to college with who from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, they wouldn't answer the phone. They wouldn't turn on a light bulb. They wouldn't cook any food. All of that was considered work that you shouldn't do on a Sabbath day, right? And so there's extensive law keeping. Um, there's, a, there's some Christian groups, quote unquote, like the Adventists, which means that you can only worship on a Saturday. And if you worship on a Sunday, then you're committing all sorts of atrocities against God's heart. But what's interesting about all of that is that if you look, of course, at uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, let's just turn there. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read this to you. So keep your fingers there. Turn all the way to your right. Hebrews chapter 4. It says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Which is a quote from Psalm 95.11. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remained that some must enter it, 
And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after such a long time as has been said, Today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Do you see that? There remains, verse 9, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now what that means is this, that Jesus himself is the true Sabbath rest. That in Christ, when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they have ceased from their work and entered into the rest that God has for them. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So the Sabbath is meant ultimately to point to not just physical resting, but it's meant to point to a spiritual rest that we get when we come to Christ and we stop working for our salvation. Now because of that, what that means is you can worship God on any day. God is not preferential on his Sabbath because the true Sabbath is Jesus himself. Now with that being said, We live in a very sick culture. Any culture that can have something called a workaholic, I consider that to be sick. Because it's work. It's work. And if you look at the account of God's creation of Adam and Eve, and once you move into chapter 3, once Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God curses Adam by cursing the work that he does. Which means, in effect, that this ground that was created and this beautiful garden that was there, now it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. Right? And so because of that, Adam has to work harder to get the same thing. And what's interesting is that for people who struggle with um, a bad work-life balance, really what they're doing is they're just living out the fall of Adam. That's what they're doing. So if you're here today and you're just like, you find yourself being an incessive workaholic, you do not know how to actually stop working and enjoy people, God, creation, all these things that God has made beautiful, you're just living out the curse of Adam. Now I say that being, I know this very well, I very much know what it's like to be a workaholic. But what God is saying in the idea of Sabbath is that, listen, it's all right to take a break and enjoy me and enjoy your family, and enjoy the things God has made. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh day, set it apart for me. Set it apart for me. And I, We live in a culture where we're over-caffeinated, we're over-stimulated, people have ulcers from working so hard. And I just feel like Jesus in his word is saying to us, man, take a chill. Set a day apart. It's okay to take a nap, to enjoy a stroll by a creek. Talk to your spouse. They're kind of cool. Jesus is real. 
Today we heard about what it really means to take the Lord's name in vain. It's not the words, it's your heart. Your intention means everything. And if you have a heart for God, you won't want to do those things that hurt Him. You'll want to reflect His glory. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll consider how we're the wealthiest culture in the world. But resist taking time off so that we can honor, spend time with, and worship God. Next time, Pastor Daniel will speak about rest. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled Sinai. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.